different era. Yeah, different eras. Welcome, I think. Welcome <laughs> to Freightonomics. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Freightonomics, uh, where we discuss the freight world in combination with the macroeconomic environment and how they interact and break down what we see in the marketplace and how that's going to manifest itself in the forms of transportation movements, rates, and all of the things that it involves. Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightwaves, here with, as always, Anthony Smith, Lead Economist and Director for Market Experts. Yeah, so Anthony, we've got a pretty good little roundup today. We've convinced Will Sested, <laughs> Vice President. How do you spell that? <laughs> yeah, of Associations and University Development uh, to come on and kind of open the door on what goes on in that government, that policymaking world. Uh, obviously, it's a hot button topic for a lot of transportation providers out there as there is a balance between regulations and free market and all this kind of stuff. And obviously, that is Always something fun to talk about. Yeah. And Will is one of those guys that I, I'm always impressed when I hear some of his background. And then like, I think I know what he's done in the past. And he'll tell me like a whole nother story. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, Will, you've like lived so many different lives at so many different areas. And I think that's just the DC way as well. It's just so many opportunities, so many people coming in and out of that city. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's obviously had a ton of experience. But before we get into that, let's thank our sponsor, Amazon Freight who knows you need more than another truckload services provider. You need a partner that can help you navigate the world of logistics and plan for the future. Amazon Freight is helping shippers move their freight simply and reliably, while backed by the innovation and expertise that's in the DNA of Amazon. Whether you have a few truckloads to fill or thousands to move, Amazon Freight is your partner for the road ahead. Visit freight.amazon.com to get started. Freight.amazon.com. That's right. There it is. So, you know, we, I didn't pick out a bunch of stories this week uh, to talk about. I figured you had some economic stuff we need to talk about first in the form of unemployment levels. Now, this is obviously one of those ongoing things. Um, hopefully you're checking your LinkedIn and Facebook as well for any comments yeah. as we're always monitoring. That's a good note. <laughs> yeah. um, I am watching LinkedIn actively yeah. right now. So if you have any comments, want to join in on the conversation, as always, please jump in. Voice your opinions here. I'm also going to have Facebook up. So not too many people active in Facebook, but on LinkedIn, I'm watching. Yeah, well, we are a professional podcast. <laughs> some of us. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, some of us. So unemployment. Back on the rise. What do we what do we take from this? This is two weeks in a row, right? Yeah, um, jobs claims up again. When we're looking at the last week um, through Thursday, but this came a day earlier, you right? Know, Thanksgiving. Yeah, because of Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we saw another increase. So now at seven hundred thousand seventy eight. Um, so it's uh, the second consecutive week, and that's outpacing expectations, and it's kind of also moving in line with the increased levels of COVID throughout the country. So not ideal, especially when we're going into this holiday season. Um, we had a Freightways Now episode uh, with Andrew Cox, and we had a really good visual graphic kind of showing how that's leading into diminished sales for, I think, um, higher traffic areas that are brick and mortar stores. So consumers still spending right now. There's still some momentum behind them. Of course, on a year-over-year -year basis, it's a lot higher than last year. I think latest retail sales number was near that 5% mark, 5.4%, if I'm not mistaken, um, for year-over-year -year growth. 
um, non-restore sales e-commerce still going strong. But overall, when we're seeing consecutive rise for jobs claims, it's not very encouraging. Um, we have seen consecutive decline for continued jobs claims, which shows individuals that have um, filed for unemployment benefits consecutively. So not just this isn't the first time they're, they're applying once more. And that's starting to go down on a you know consecutive uh, basis. But a lot of those benefits are just expiring and they're going into those right. extended benefits that were put in place by federal, um, the federal government not too long ago. Yeah. And they're, you know, we're coming up on that expiration. We're going to talk to Will in a minute about what that m looks like uh, moving forward as we appear to be kind of in this stalemate <laughs> yeah. of Congress uh, trying to figure out how to to take that. And they've just gone on vacation. They just up and left. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see you in Must 2021. Nice. Yeah. A whole month. Um, yeah. And speaking, so, you know, unemployment obviously has a big impact on everybody's wallets, consumers, uh, you know, if they don't have consistent or, you know, they're confident that they're going to have employment moving forward, they won't spend the money or they won't spend as much money. Right. Just hear you say something about consumer confidence. I did. Oh I did. my goodness. 2020 is crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, we're all getting real cuddly here, but, <laughs> uh, consumers are pretty confident right now. Yeah. They're, they're very confident. They've been spending a lot of money and it's about to be what is traditionally the biggest retail sales day of the year called Black Friday. Yeah. Um, and it's because of the accounting practice of going into the black, <laughs> mm -hmm. supposedly. I've read a few other explanations of this, but I, you know, there's the red and the black, and you go into the black, you're profitable, et cetera. The red, you're not profitable. Um, and this is where they shove a lot of their confidence and they're making their yearly budgets and their figures and their revenue figures is the sales that they make on Black Friday. Yeah. And, but this year's a little different. Um, and I pulled this section out of the What the Truck newsletter, one of my favorite new publications. You know what Duner really does a great job with <laughs> is like those initial titles. Like it's great content, but like he makes a title that just like, hey, I got to see what, what's going on. Oh, he, he, he knows exactly how to talk to me. He's got my attention span down mm -hmm. to a, a T. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, time or, you know, the wherewithal, what were we talking about? Huh? Yeah. Bandwidth. <laughs> um, yeah. To, uh, to, to get too deep with, with too many headlines here, but he definitely distills it down into something that I can pay attention to and it takes me no time at all. But uh, he basically embedded a, a survey in there about yeah. Black Friday and they surveyed, uh, I believe it was, um, I'll get to it here in a second. It Transfix surveyed, uh, you know, shoppers uh, about what they're going to do this Friday. Um, and it said that 84% of shoppers do not plan on partaking in in-store Black Friday events. Now, that number is shocking to me. 84%. Wow. At no brick and mortar. Now, yeah. the big question is how much of that has already been offset by, you know, the early Amazon Prime Day and all these sales that have been going on consistently since probably about early to mid-October. Mid-October, yeah. I guess, is when Amazon Prime Day, October 14th. I think that's right when I start to see advertisers say, hey, Black Friday level deals in place now, start yeah. shopping. And so that's really going to, like you said, prolong that holiday buying season and really kind of make up for that one, you know, blockbuster day for many brick and mortar stores. Yeah. But the replacement for these brick and mortar stores, it doesn't mean that they're not going out. Yeah. 72% of them plan on doing curbside pickup. Mm. So they are going to get out of their house a little bit more. So you know what that means. Have People you ever can still get those 4K TVs? And they are going to road rage. 
Yeah. <laughs> why are there so? Why are TV so such a big Black Friday item though? I'm just so you know industry secret. Like those TVs are made specifically for Black Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you're getting the same TV that you get in June. Mm-hmm. They've, they've developed these TVs specifically for these Black Friday sales gotcha. in most cases. Uh, you know, there's there's a few items out there that they mark down, but there are specific electronics and items that they will make specifically for these Black Friday events. Do they have a life cycle of one year? <laughs> I, I can't speak to the quality uh, of the TVs. Some of them do have reduced features, but some of the stuff I've read, TVs nowadays are very... It's very hard to differentiate. Yeah, because I can see like maybe a few years ago where, you know, electronics had such a large gap in between quality, but everything is really decent quality. Like even cell phones now, a mid-level cell phone is just as good as like a high-end cell phone. But nonetheless, Black Friday is still happening. I mean, as of now, you know, Black Friday level deals and that you mentioned curbside pickups. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, even if you do get these shoppers out, Right now, we're seeing such a backlog in demand and shipping and stuff. Uh, 72% of the brands are not confident they can meet consumer shipping demands. Uh, so basically, two-thirds of the yeah. shippers are basically saying, we will not be able to meet your needs. And that, of course, contributes to this panic uh, on the shelves situation that we saw with the toilet paper earlier in the year. And I think it's kind of resurging now uh, where we're, we're seeing the consumers react to that and they'll get out there and they'll buy more. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, right? It's a psychological game, uh, that's going on and it, and it's unintentional at that. Um, but I think this next story is a good transition into Will coming on and, and talking to us because it involves regulations. And this was, uh, you know, essentially basically, you know, a lot of owner operators are upset that they don't have enough visibility into broker margins. Yeah. And they're asking the FMCSA uh, to comment on proposal to eliminate bad actor brokers. This was written by John Gallagher on the Freightways website. I encourage you to check it out. But effectively, they're just saying, uh, you know, the brokers that are out there aren't being regulated effectively. Uh, We're getting a lot of bad administrative behaviors here where we're not getting our money. They're not, you know, licensed. They don't have the appropriate tools to help them, you know, manage their day to day. So these owner operators that are trusting these brokers are kind of left out yeah. <laughs> high and dry and yeah. they've wasted their time. Brokers don't have a lot of skin in the game in that arena. The owner operators, the truckers out there, they've bought this asset and mm-hmm. wasting a full day of their time is extremely expensive, super right. costly. Uh, you know, depending on, you know, what they're operating. I mean, the larger carriers, it's typically around five to $700 a day to operate a vehicle. For an owner operator, it's a little less depending on how much they spend on their vehicle, et cetera. Uh, but that's that's a tremendous hit to your you know your day to day. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. The time, time, the time being that asset, you can't get it back, and wasting someone's time is, is disrespectful, time and is, you can't get that back. Time is money, but asking for regulations always is kind of a tricky thing. Unintended consequences. Yeah, and uh, you know if we can go ahead and bring on Will, uh, you know to br- help us take this journey uh, down in through the uh, the regulation mindset and how these can be, you know, they're, they're obviously very impactful to freight and transportation uh, movements across the United States, but there's all sorts of layers and levels of, you know, influence, uh, depending on your particular spot in the, uh, in the industry. Welcome, Will. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, thank you for coming out. Will, of course, our Vice President of Association and University Development, correct? Sure. Yeah, that's me. Give us a quick uh, uh, breakdown of your background, real quick. Introduce yourself. Sure. Yeah. So, 
So uh, it's nice to be everybody. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I wore my nice tux t-shirt to try and bring an air of dignity to my, my contribution. Uh, Looking sharp, dude. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, before I got to Freight Waves, I, I was at the Transportation Intermediaries Association, which is the trade group that represents freight brokers and 3PLs. I was there for five years doing government affairs and lobbying. And I arrived there after nine years working on Capitol Hill for Senator Max Baucus from Montana. Um, so, you know, it's been a, like Anthony was uh, kind of mentioned, it's been a journey for me. I've had a, a great opportunity that I've, you know, grown up professionally to be around a lot of smart people, uh, experience a lot of different perspectives on different issues. And it's, it's kind of fun to, to bring those perspectives to bear on something like you know, John's article for the, the public comment and information guide. Yeah, so so help us walk us through this a little bit. What what is this? You know, what what's happening right here? Sure. So this is a, you know, it's the really when government's working right, you know, it's taking into account public opinion, um, collecting facts before it proceeds with the rulemaking on any kind of petition or, or advocacy. Uh, in this case, you know, limiting a bad actor brokers, it's the benefit of those owner operators and the small fleets and any trucking company that's subject to working with an intermediary. Uh, where they might lose efficiency, lose time, which of course is valuable. And it's this is a valuable investigation for, for the broken 3PL community too, because you know, no one benefits from having bad actors that, that may sort of the reputation of intermediaries, uh, may make things move less efficiently. Because eventually, you know, every cost of transportation is going to be borne by the consumer. Yeah, exactly. We'll end up paying more uh, for our products, et cetera, the more that we have inefficiency in the marketplace. And obviously, this is uh, tremendously impactful to the people that are involved. I mean, because those bad actor brokers are taking uh, business away from the legitimate ones as well. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah and that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a constant battle. I think we saw some of the passion related to these petitions and requests for agency intervention uh, early on during the, the pandemic with the notions of price gouging for, for freight building 3PLs versus the small small truck companies especially. I know OIDA uh, was a great advocate for the small trucker and the independent owner-operator. You know, and those are discussions that processes like this request for information, uh, request for comments by the agency, allow the agency to make sort of a better informed uh, rulemaking or, or administrative guidance to help commerce kind of move more seamlessly and to eliminate inefficient regulations where those exist and make sure that existing regulations uh, that are not inefficient or outdated are applied fairly to, to all parties in the transactions. Yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, most of the time we see the very end result of uh, what happens, you know, after the regulations are made and we hear about it, et cetera. But this is one of those moments where no decisions have been made just yet, mm -hmm. uh, but they're simply exploring. And, and I think one of the criticisms of, you know, government in general in terms of creating regulations is just how little expertise they have in these fields. Yeah. But, you know, Will can obviously shine some light on, you know, how they go out and they do research. They wouldn't just act if they didn't have a reason to act. Right. Um, you know, if there was some sort of, uh, you know, just government doesn't just know that these things exist because they're not operating in the space. Somebody yeah. has to be the catalyst to yeah. set this off. Yeah. And, and also interested in Will's take on some potential unintended con consequences with this regulation. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, sure. that's the problem is that, you know, we never really know the unintended consequences. I mean, I myself back in the day would have lots of unintended consequences of some things that I just wasn't thinking about. And that yeah. happens all the time, right, Will? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the goal here would be, you know, from an agency or government perspective, you want to, you don't want to do something that's going to, to create harm. And so you're likely to err on the side of allowing the market to find a solution uh, under existing regulations. But there are, you know, agencies are charged with implementing the laws passed by Congress. And the notion there is that Congress is responsive to the people directly. Uh, and then beyond that, you have this Administrative Procedure Act, which does your request for information, your proposed rulemaking and public comment period, uh, maybe an interim rule and a public comment period, and then a final rule and a gap for implementation. The goal is to, you know, enforce the laws, keep the regulations updated, and give folks time to comply. And where there are slips in that step or, you know, where activity is really aggressive, um, it's kind of where you see the differentiations between, you know, different administrations, uh, you know, the really different requirements put on the agencies by Congress as Congress changes partisan control, things like that. Um, but, you know, I think the, the risk here is that you make it harder for folks to understand how to do business uh, legally. You want to make really clear what the role of the intermediary is, what their responsibilities and their liabilities are. So that can be then implemented through contractual procedures with the carrier so the shipper understands what they're doing when they work through the intermediary. And so this, you know, the, the comments that they receive and then publish in the Federal Register are going to be instructive on sort of what they see as that universe as non-practitioners who are charged with you know, implementing laws and regulations. Yeah, so I want to, you know, I want to use like kind of an existing example. Now, this has been a hot button topic for a couple of years now out in California, uh, the AB5 slash Prop 22 that they just voted on to uh, basically recognize, you know, the the gig economy workers such as Uber and, uh, you know, Instacart, all that as, you know, non like contracted employees. They don't have to be considered full time employees in that regard. But as it pertains to trucking, there's been this ongoing conflict between, uh, you know, how owner operators, for instance, are viewed in the government, in the California government's eyes. Are they going to be, you know, full-time employees or do they have to be full-time employees? Which, again, it's kind of like those gig workers. They don't necessarily need all that insurance coverage. But there has been a situation, specifically on the drayage providers out there around the ports, where some of the employees feel that they are entitled to you know, the way that they've got it set up is they want full-time benefits, have all the things that come along with full-time employment, but they're treating them like contract employers. But the ramifications of this are now everybody has to be a contracted employer. And and it's, it, it's that gray area there, Will, that, you know, you're targeting one specific use case and trying to apply it to a broad spectrum. How do, how does, how do we get around that? How does government view that in this situation? Well, so that, to be honest, I think that's one of the challenges of our, our federal system, right, is that states have broad authority to, to regulate commerce uh, within that state. Um, you know, notwithstanding interstate commerce, which, of course, falls constitutionally as a, a federal government uh, has preemption there. But you, know, you see with, like, the, the federal government granted California a waiver for certain Environmental Protection Act um, circumstances so that California can set higher environmental quality standards than, than the nation. Um then you turn that around to something like employment law, right? And the employment taxes are incredibly important to a lot of state coffers and, and you know, federal employment tax as well. Uh, you want to preserve the well-being of workers, but you have to balance, you know, what, what is the state's role? And is, is California essentially acting as the tip of the spear for larger efforts to improve employee misclassification, reduce employee misclassification so that 
there are more employment taxes going to government and that workers have the ability to unionize and advocate for themselves in collective bargaining. Uh, it's a really challenging segment, specific to AB5 and Prop 22. Uh, you, know, you guys mentioned the, the large number of unemployment claims. Right? And so Prop 22 exceptions for gig economy folks, you know, but a lot of folks will be looking for that second job, looking for a contracting job to try and make ends meet. So there's, there's some really, I think, interesting downstream consequences to fostering that gig economy. Uh, at the same time, maybe struggling with what, you know, determining who can be an employee versus an independent contractor and, and drawing those boundaries. I think ultimately the Biden administration will lean towards uh, classifying workers as employees. But a lot of those efforts will be subject to, you know, Senate confirmation of agency leadership for the Department of Labor and the Wage and Hour Division specifically. And so there's just, it, it's really tough to say. I think a lot of money will be spent by corporations, corporate PACs, and trade associations and trade association PACs to try and drive opinion on Capitol Hill one way or the other. Yeah, this is this has obviously been this this is a microcosm of what we've kind of discovered in freight over the last yeah. little bit. Yeah. Is, you know, the balance between regulation and, you know, protecting some individuals that need protecting. Uh, but at the same time, how much liability do you want to put on on the government to fix that problem? Yeah. Uh there's there's always a trade-off. And if you want more government, then you trade off a little bit of your freedom, a little bit of your choice away. If you want more regulation, there's a little bit of choice that you have to give up. And obviously to a lot of owner operators out there, uh, they don't want to give up their freedom just so, uh, you know, some people out in California can have, uh, you know, a little bit more protection. But it's probably one of the reasons they became an owner operator. Right? It, it is <laughs> one of the reasons that they became an own, owner operator. And, you know, like I said before, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't happen if somebody didn't instant instigate it. Yeah. Like, so there obviously was a strong lobby, a, a strong case here out in California for this to happen. And again, it's specific to California right now at the moment. Um, it would be interesting to see if this did spill over into the federal space. But when one of these states does this, Anthony, that it tends to impact the rest of the country. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. I mean, when it comes to anything that increases regulation is always unfortunate where we see a, a, a federal sweep, a nationwide sweep on these kind of actions because each state is going to be different. There's yeah. going to be different types of local economies, different types of market levers that are being pushed and pulled um, throughout the country. And so when we have these kinds of federal sweeps, it's really unfortunate because it's not going to be a bandit that's just going to fix a, a certain problem. Um, one of the other things that Will mentioned was um, how this is going to complicate the business, the ease of business, and that's going to create a barrier of entry um, for business to get done. And so that's not exactly what we need in the transportation <laughs> industry yeah. right now, especially during these COVID times. Yeah, the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, the fact that you we have these situ already a hard driver recruiting environment. Yeah. Uh, and now we're going to add one more thing potentially to it. And, and this is in the long future. This is going to go through a lot of cycles first. It's already been around for several years now, um, you know, but let's bring Will back on here. And, and I just want to get your quick thoughts, Will, on, you know, we just changed our our president. Uh, President-elect Biden's now going to take on uh, the role in Oval Office. What do you think that, in general, this means for transportation in the future as policies are kind of, you know, obviously going to bend slightly towards his side of things? Sure. I mean, I think, first of all, government is and 
governance rather than government and, and regulation are, are very slow moving ships to turn. I mean, I think if you look at something like uh, the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, I mean, that was first authorized in MAP 21, which was passed in like, July 2012. And then they finalized it and got it up and running by, I think, January or February of this year, along with the requisite, of course, with the government computer system, the requisite issues. Um, and so I think you know, things won't change quickly. We have two months until uh, President Biden is sworn in. And after that, you're looking at probably four to six months to you know, get his cabinet and administrative uh, executive agency leadership sworn in. Uh, there are certainly no priorities outside of transportation uh, that that he'll probably want to take on, depending on the composition of the Senate and the House. You know, that sort of divided government may may be a boon to folks that don't that fear a lot of regulations. Uh, in that, I don't think that Congress will move particularly quickly. It tends to be a, a deadline-driven entity. Um, so you're looking at uh, you know the current uh, highway bill extension that goes through the end of. September next year would be probably the first opportunity for any kind of transportation policy bill. Uh, that'll likely be tied up. I know the only thing Congress would come back to do in December is likely uh, pass some type of omnibus spending bill. And I know House and Senate have come together and agreed on the spending levels. Once they do that, that'll mean that there will be a, a spending cliff and an authorization cliff for transportation uh, specific to roads and bridges in you know, September 30th, October 1st of next year. So that would be the first time that maybe they revisit something legislatively. It's also very likely you just get a kind of kick the can down the road extension. Uh, and then, like I said, with Matt 21 and the Drug Alcohol Clearinghouse, you're looking at several years before regulations required by Congress are implemented through a public comment process by the agency. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have too much anxiety over, over <laughs> uh, burdensome regulation in the short term. Right on, right on. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Will. Uh, you know, keep in touch as you do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, keep those D.C. regulators in line, too. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the government, as usual, that's one thing, I guess, that's a good takeaway from this, too, is that it takes a lot of time. Yeah. For things to change on Capitol Hill up there uh, to get any kind of pervasive or any any kind of movement up there. It, you know, he's talking about this guy's going to come in and he's he's going to have to set up his house first. Yeah. He's got to yeah. have cabinets and all this kind of stuff setting up. And, you know, we're not going to see dramatic changes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, right and that's away. one of the key things I would hit in back in my economic advisory days for executives. I would always say, you know, whether we have these regulations or in or not business owners are smart and they're going to find a way to adjust one way or another and really but they just it. need to know the rules. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if they're going to change the rules and that's one of the things that's been lagging this year is that business investment. And now I, I guess the common sentiment, if you will, <laughs> common feeling is that, and whether or not this is fact or not, which is again, why another reason I'm pointing <laughs> this out is that it, when Democrats are in office, they discourage spending because they increase taxes in favor of more government, et cetera. Is this, is, do you think this is accurate? Uh, I think. And do you have any stats or facts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any stats right now, but yeah. I do think um, whether it's, it's either a Democratic or Republican in office, mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's going to still be the same. Yeah. Um, money's going to go and, and be taxed at different levels, whether it's going to be corporate tax or tax on the people mm -hmm. or, or just federal spending on um, defense spending. And so it's just, where is the money going to go? And I think as we've seen, whether it's going to be Republican, Democrat, 
that federal uh that nationwide debt is still just skyrocketing yeah yikes i think we can all agree though that we want the economy to grow <laughs> yes uh, i mean that would solve any taxes uh, yes. whatsoever if the economy grew so to wrap things up this week anthony smith uh oh got a little topic for you to get us in the mood not for christmas because it's too early to talk about christmas but for is thanksgiving mm. what is your favorite side for thanksgiving Baked macaroni and cheese. Baked macaroni and cheese. You know what? I'm going to give that to you, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I'm going to say collard greens done right. Cooked. Done with, right is key. With bacon fat or hog fat mm. in there, the Southern way, mm. Mm -hmm. like my grandma used to do. <laughs> so, so to make sure that they're not healthy. <laughs> That's what we really want to make sure is that we've made something green completely unhealthy for you, but it tastes just like this salty deliciousness. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and accept your mac and cheese though, because that's obviously indisputable. I'm, I'm taking collard greens as well. That's a solid pick. Yeah. What's your favorite way to have turkey? Um, I don't know. What are the options? Smoked, fried, or roasted in the oven? I'm going roasted. Roasted in the roasted. oven? All right. Also, hot take, all the holidays should be condensed into either one day, a weekend, a week, or a month. More efficient that way. I recommend July. I'm almost, I'm almost like, yes, except for the fact that I like my holidays. Now we're only going to get one day off versus mm -hmm. the spread out six. Maybe an entire month off, the entire month of July. Take it off. I don't like it. Fourth of July, I like Christmas. My, I like to spread out my holidays. This is ridiculous. Thanksgiving. A whole month of July. You know how much I'm going to forget? In yeah. a month? Nah. With that you much? You got the whole month. Oh, man. I'm going to be... You'll lose me. Exactly. <laughs> I'll, be in the, I'll be in the Caribbean somewhere. <laughs> Good. A new life. You, got, you got time. <laughs> Shut it down. Well, they do that sort of in China. Right. Chinese, Chinese New Year. Year. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, drink more water.